We're returning to Acts chapter 23 this morning and verse 11. I'll be preaching from one verse this morning. Uh, just to give you a little context before we read our scripture passage, we remember that Paul has come to Jerusalem. Uh, he was in the temple. Uh, he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple and uh, the crowds got stirred up and Paul was beaten. Uh, and then uh, the, the Roman soldiers removed Paul uh, and decided to flog him to figure out what he had done. Uh, he tells them that he's a Roman citizen, so they refrain, but then they bring him before the council, the Sanhedrin, where he is uh, questioned, some dissension stirs up among the council. Paul, again, is taken away, and he is uh, put back into the Roman barracks. Uh, and so this verse is in that context of Paul there, under, uh, under arrest by the Romans and in the midst of great trial. So uh, let's pray, and then we will read God's word. Heavenly Father, as we now prepare to receive your holy, inerrant, infallible word, give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know and be established in the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Dearly beloved, hear the word of the Lord. It is written, The following night the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So before moving on in Acts, this morning I wanted to stop and address Jesus' appearing in a vision to the Apostle Paul here in Acts 23. I didn't spend much time on this verse last Sunday, not because it wasn't important, but because I wanted to handle it separately. It deserves our focused attention. Jesus appearing to Paul here isn't insignificant. Jesus appearing is never insignificant. And this isn't the first time Jesus has appeared to Paul like this. Beyond Jesus' appearing to Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus also appeared in a vision to Paul while Paul was in Corinth, as recorded in Acts chapter 18. And this appearance in chapter 23 will not be Paul's last vision uh, that is recorded in Acts. Acts 27 will record another vision that Paul had with a messenger of the Lord. And these are only a few of the visions uh, in the narrative of Acts. Paul actually had another vision in Acts 16 of a man from Macedonia requesting his help. We remember that. Uh, we also remember that Stephen... Philip, Peter, Ananias, Cornelius, all of them have had visions. These are all part of the larger theme and acts of signs and wonders that give witness to the ongoing work of Jesus Christ and the evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit. 
But there's a common thread that links all of these particular visions given to Paul in chapter 18, here in chapter 23, and then again in chapter 27. And here's the common thread. These visions all occur in moments when Paul is in special need of encouragement. They occur when Paul is in special need of strength and a reminder to stay the course. Now, when we read through Acts, we can perhaps easily forget that Paul was only human. We can easily imagine Paul to be some sort of supernatural hero, but Paul was as we are. He had moments when he was prone to weakness. There were moments when he felt down and discouraged, when he was angry or frustrated, when he felt abandoned. And even though we don't always clearly see this in the narrative of Acts, we do see it in Paul's letters where he confesses his weaknesses. And we need to remember that just because Paul was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, that doesn't mean that it came easily for him or that he sought it out or took pleasure in it. So I want to stop and focus on this verse this morning in hopes that we can spend a few minutes meditating on how God reassured Paul in these moments of trial. Here's the reality. God spoke specifically to Paul in these moments, specifically to his situation and to his needs, but there are general truths here. There are promises spoken here, and God's promises to Paul are the same promises God has for us in our moments of trial and tribulation. And we need to hear these promises. We need to be reminded of them. Not only because we are in a moment in which there has been a great deal of hardship and uncertainty. It isn't just because we have been dealing with a pandemic. It isn't just because we are in a moment of economic uncertainty or civil unrest or cultural and political divisiveness. Uh, Those things can certainly all work to stir up anxiety or a sense of despair among us. It also isn't simply because we need to be prepared for increasing opposition to the gospel and the difficulty that will come as a result. That might unfortunately be true as well. But we need to hear these words just as much because we all experience hardship. We all experience difficulty. We experience trials and tribulations simply as a part of life in this fallen world. Some of you here this morning are hurting apart from the malaise of our current cultural or political circumstances. And in any and all of these moments, we must rest on the promises of God in Scripture. Paul's vision of Jesus here is a reminder to us of those promises. Jesus tells Paul, take courage. Be of good cheer. Be strong. Be encouraged. And we can be encouraged because of what this vision represents and the promises given and remembered here. 
So I want to point out a, a few promises that stand out in this vision, which reassure us of God's goodness in our times of trouble. These aren't all the promises we find in Scripture, obviously, but they are what we find in this vision and the others like it. I want to mention three in particular this morning. All start with the letter P, so I hope that makes them easy to remember. Here they are, three-point sermon for you. We are reminded of the promises of God's presence, of God's purposes, and of God's grace to preserve and persevere his saints to the end. God's presence, God's purposes, and God's grace to preserve and persevere his saints to the end. So first, God is present with us. God is present with us. This is not only true in our moments of trouble, it's also true all the time. Jesus and his great commission to his disciples instructed his disciples to go into all the world, preaching the gospel, teaching people to obey his commandments, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he leaves them with this promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. R.C. Sproul called this one of the most incredible promises Jesus ever announced. And notice that it isn't a promise that Jesus will one day be present with us. This isn't a promise of something that we can only expect on the other side of eternity. Jesus will certainly be entirely present with us in eternity. This is the greatness of our hope in the gospel, that we will spend eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior, that Jesus will dwell with us and we with him. We will behold him face to face. We will no longer look in a mirror dimly, but even now, even now he is present with us in a very real way. This is Jesus's promise to his disciples. He doesn't say, I will be with you one day, it isn't a promise given in the future tense. It is a promise given in the present tense. Behold, I am with you. And this is a promise he fulfills in sending the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit comes, his disciples are filled and Jesus abides with them wherever they go. What Acts reveals to us is that Jesus reminded Paul repeatedly of the promise of his presence in appearing to him. The very vision itself serves in this way. Jesus wanted Paul to have a visual reminder, especially in this moment of difficulty in persecution, that he was present with Paul and would not abandon Paul nor forsake Paul. Chapter 18, Jesus is even more explicit with Paul about his ongoing presence with him. And Jesus doesn't just appear to Paul. Jesus tells Paul there not to be afraid. And why was Paul not to be afraid? Well, as Jesus tells him in that encounter, do not be afraid for I am with you. This is a great reassurance to Paul that Jesus doesn't give empty promises. Jesus has promised to be with his people and he is. 
And Acts gives us a reminder through its testimony that the same is true for each one of us. This was Jesus's promise in the Great Commission. I will be with you always until the end of the age. That is not just a promise to the disciples. As John Calvin noted, it is a promise that embraced future generations. Jesus is with his people until the end of the age. Until he comes again, Jesus is with his people. And so this is a promise which we must believe and which we must preach to ourselves, especially in our times of trouble. It's easy in these times to begin to wonder if God has abandoned us. And there are times in our our lives moments in which we might question if God really cares about us. It's easy to begin asking questions like, if God is present, then why am I dealing with this illness? Why am I dealing with chronic pain? If, if God is with me, then why did my loved one die? If God is present, then why am I facing financial hardship? Why is my business failing? If God is present, then why, why do I feel so alone? And these are questions that we might naturally wrestle with in moments of difficulty, particularly when we don't understand or can't see the purpose for our suffering. But here is the declaration of God's word through scripture again and again and again. We are never without the presence of our Savior and Lord Jesus if we belong to him. There is no place where we can find ourselves alone. There is no situation in which we find ourselves alone. There is no moment when we find ourselves alone. Jesus is always with us. And this should fill us with courage and confidence. It should fill us with courage and confidence. The same courage and confidence that filled Moses to stand before the mighty Pharaoh and boldly declare that he was to let God's people go. The same courage and confidence that filled Joshua to go charging into the promised land. The same courage and confidence that filled young David as he stepped out onto the battlefield before the giant Goliath. The same courage and confidence that filled the prophets to go before the kings and defiantly proclaim a coming judgment. Each knew of God's abiding presence with them. And we remember those like Daniel who fearlessly went into the lion's den, refusing to bow before the powers of this world, refusing to forsake God, knowing that God was with him. And we get these beautiful reminders throughout Scripture that God is present with his people. Not only as we travel beside the still waters, but also as we travel into the valley of the shadow of death. God speaks to his people through the prophet Isaiah. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And passages like this one in Isaiah affirm for us what the blessing of God's presence for us means for us. God's presence means that we not only have constant companionship, 
It means that we have access to God's power. We have access to God's protection and we have access to his provision. God is there to give us what we need when we need it. It doesn't mean that we get what we want when we want it, but it does mean that he will sustain us through any trial. He will provide for us every necessary resource. For instance, Jesus tells us that God will put words in our mouths to give faithful witness to him when the time comes. This was Jesus's promise as he sent his disciples out, telling them that he was sending them out as sheep among wolves. He told them not to worry about what they would say before kings and courts and councils because the Holy Spirit would give them the words to speak. And Jesus told Paul in the vision Paul had in Corinth, no one will attack you to harm you. Proclaim the gospel boldly. Now, does this mean that we are always shielded from physical harm? No. But there are times in which God protects his people from physical harm in order that his purposes for them can be accomplished. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But we're told in the great eighth chapter of Romans that nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not danger, not the sword. Our bodies can be destroyed, but there is no power, not even the power of death, which can separate us from God's presence. We are protected by God in this way. So we can take courage. We can be strong and of good cheer. We can be encouraged even in our moments of deepest need that God is a very present help in our time of trouble in our moments of grief, in our moments of anxiety, in our moments of doubt, in our moments of fear, we can rely on his presence with us. Even when we can't sense his his presence, he is there. God is faithful to his word. Secondly, God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose for us. We see this in every vision that Paul has. In Corinth, Jesus told Paul not to remain silent for Jesus had many in that city who belonged to him. In other words, Jesus was telling Paul that his purpose for Paul in Corinth was to proclaim the gospel in order that those who belonged to him would hear and come to saving faith. Here in Jerusalem, Jesus told Paul that just as Paul had given faithful witness to him in that place, so he would also do in Rome. There is a past and present purpose that is being accomplished, and there is a future purpose to which everything is now moving. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. Everything was working in accordance with Jesus's purposes for Paul. Even if it seemed like the powers that were controlling Paul's life were malicious ones, Jesus reminded Paul who was really in control. Everything was working according to God's good purposes. Later in chapter 27, Paul received a divine revelation that God's plan for him was to stand and give witness before Caesar. In each vision, there was a plan, God's plan, which was shown to be working itself out. So there was a purpose for Paul's current situation, even Paul's imprisonment. It was accomplishing something. It was working toward something. 
God had tasks assigned to his servant Paul, and Paul's life would not be cut short before these tasks were completed. And this is a very important lesson for us to learn. Our lives are lived under God's providence. As Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure or his good purpose. God is sovereign over all things. He is completely in control. And God will accomplish his purposes for our lives. And within the category of God's purposes are God's ultimate purposes, the consummation of all things. As Paul states in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that in Jesus Christ, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And as Paul tells the Colossians that it is God's purpose in and through Jesus Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the moment in history to which everything is headed. But God doesn't just have ultimate purposes. Where God has ordained the ends, God has ordained the means. He doesn't just have the ultimate plan that he hopes his creation will arrive at somehow in some way. No, God has purposed how that plan will come to fruition. God is directing the course of history at every moment, and God has purpose for us in this present time. And this purpose is working towards his ultimate purpose. And we see this affirmed in Scripture, don't we? After telling the Ephesians of God's great love for them in his saving grace in Jesus Christ, after proclaiming the gospel to them that they have been saved by grace through faith, Paul wrote this to them. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a purpose for us. He created us for it. He saved us for it. It is a purpose which brings him glory, which gives witness to his goodness and grace in Jesus Christ, which tells of his mighty deeds to say, if we are living and breathing, then God still has something for us. And as strange as it might seem to us, even our suffering is not outside of his purposes for us. God's promise is that our suffering is not wasted. There is no unnecessary suffering under God's sovereignty. Scripture assures us of this truth. Paul wrote to the Romans, we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produces endurance and our endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul would later write that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote that our sufferings are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
So even our sufferings are used by God to accomplish his purposes for us. They are working to bring us to saving faith, to grow us in maturity, to shine his light through us and give witness to his grace, to work in us a holy hatred of our sins, to decrease in us a reliance on worldly things and to produce in us a greater desire for his everlasting kingdom where there is nothing but joy and peace and righteousness. So even our sufferings are not outside God's sovereign will for us. And Paul's vision here reassured Paul that God's purposes for his life meant that God's present and future purposes for him would not be cut short. They would not be thwarted. Paul might be suffering. He might be arrested. He might be beaten. He might eventually be killed. He would be killed. But God would accomplish all that he had planned for Paul through him. We see this truth elsewhere in Scripture. For instance, David states in the Psalms, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and for me. God has a purpose for us. And his purpose will be accomplished. Nothing will be left out. God will work in us and through us. He's working all around us, guiding the course of history, not only to work for our good, for our salvation, but for his glory and for the redemption of his creation. This is a powerful promise in our moments of difficulty. Third and finally, as we are reminded that God's purposes in us and through us will be accomplished, we are simultaneously reminded that God, by his grace, will preserve and persevere his saints. God, by his grace, will preserve and persevere his saints. We see here in this verse Jesus instilling confidence in Paul by telling him that he, what he would accomplish. And Jesus can say this to Paul, not because he knew Paul to be strong in and of himself, not because he knew Paul could accomplish whatever he set his mind to. No, one thing is clear in Paul's life as attested by Paul himself. Paul was weak. He could not accomplish the purpose God had given him on his own. It was well beyond his strength. In every way, Paul had to rely on God's power. But Jesus can say these things to Paul because Jesus himself is working in and through Paul to accomplish these things. And it wasn't just for his purpose of accomplishing good works through Paul. It was also to keep Paul safe and secure in faith for salvation. God was preserving Paul for salvation. Scripture paints for us a very realistic picture of our fallen human condition. And being saved by God's grace doesn't eliminate from us the continuing presence of indwelling sin. Scripture makes these things clear. We continue to wrestle with sin. We continue to be prone to wander, as the great hymn states. And yet, and yet, Scripture also paints for us a picture of God's steadfast commitment to his chosen people. Jesus himself said repeatedly that not one of God's chosen will be lost. Not one. 
Jesus said that nothing can snatch God's elect from his hand. So Paul is able to confidently declare to the Philippians, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Dearly beloved, is there a more comforting promise to us than this one? Not only is God present with us, but by his power, we will be brought safely home to him. He will not let those who belong to him fall away and be lost. All those whom God has predestined for salvation, all those who have been called by his grace and justified will be brought to glory. Jude tells us that God in Jesus Christ is able and willing to keep us from stumbling and will present those who belong to him blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. What a blessed assurance. If there's ever a time to say amen, brothers and sisters, it is now. It's worth noting here that God uses means to keep his children safe and secure. God uses means to keep us safe and secure. The inner work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is one way that God does this. God also gives us the means of grace, prayer, the sacraments, God's word, and through God's word, he offers to us warnings and encouragements to keep in the faith. We are also provided with the fellowship of believers and the discipline of the church. These are means by which God is keeping us in his grace. These are means by which God keeps us close and brings us to repentance if we wander. These are means by which God brings us home to glory. And not only is God working in us and through us, but Paul revealed that he was stirred up by the grace of God to strive after this salvation. Paul spoke of striving to lay hold of the one in whom he had been laid hold of. He spoke of running the race to get the the prize. He spoke of living a life worthy of this calling that he had in, in Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that it was only by God's grace that we can do these things. And listen, God's grace is not opposed to effort, brothers and sisters. God's grace is opposed to earning. We can't earn our salvation, but we are to work out our faith in fear and trembling before the Lord. We are called to respond to God's grace in our lives. This is how God is working to keep us safe and secure. This is how we show ourselves to truly be a beloved child of God. When we, spurred by God's love and grace in our lives, are pursuing Christ by his power. And we're called to do that very thing. To persevere in the faith by God's grace, even as God preserves us by his grace. So the appearing of Jesus Christ to Paul is not only a reminder that Paul will be preserved by God's grace, His appearing is also a reminder to Paul to continue to persevere in the faith, to push on, to not give up, to not grow weary, to to run as to win the prize, to, to hold firmly till the end, to not be moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul's going to repeat these things in his letter, letters to the church. And as Paul was comforted by God with these promises, Paul sought to comfort other believers. Not only that we might have assurance of our salvation, but that we too might press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
we aren't, after all, trying to coast our way into God's kingdom. We are going to get there running hard after Jesus Christ. But let me say this, dearly beloved. We don't need a vision to be encouraged by or to have confidence in these precious promises. We don't, need a, we don't need a vision, as Paul did. These are promises of the gospel. Everyone who has placed faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation can be assured that he or she has received these promises. If you have placed faith in Christ, if you have received the guarantee of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit, then you can rest in these precious promises that Jesus Christ is present with you in the power of his spirit, that God has a purpose for you, and that God will preserve and persevere you to the end. So brothers and sisters, take courage. Take courage. Preach this to yourselves encourage one another with God's word, spur each other on to love and good deeds. And may God receive all the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for the precious promises that we find in the gospel. Lord, that for all those who have placed faith in Christ, who have humbled themselves before you, who have repented of their sin, who are striving hard after Jesus Christ, Lord, we have these promises that you are present with us, that you will not leave us nor forsake us, that you have a purpose for us, Lord, that you will persevere us and preserve us to the end. So, Lord, give us encouragement this day. Help us to take courage to be of good cheer. Help us to follow hard after Jesus all the days of our lives until at last we do enter into your everlasting kingdom of light and life everlasting. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe?